Welcome to episode 789 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I am Justin Mason, not joined by Jason Collette. He uh, unfortunately had a draft this morning and couldn't uh, be here for today's episode. So I'm bringing in a ringer. I'm bringing in a closer. And that is Ariel Cohen from the ATC Projections. He also works over at Fangraphs, uh, CBS Sportsline. Uh, he is the number one expert fantasy ranker and has the most accurate projection system according to uh, Fantasy Pros uh, from the 2019 season. He's also the Fantasy Sports Writer Association Writer of the Year. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thank you. I think you left out best looking sports writer also. I don't know if oh. that's an official ranking or anything. I, I don't I haven't seen those ranks yet. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Thank guy you so much for having me, Justin. There is a guy on Twitter that every year does um his like most like uh beautiful or good looking uh fantasy analysts. And it's always um guys that he's just trying to suck up to in the industry. <laughs> I'm like, how many of these guys have a t-shirt line? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really know that guy, but uh, uh, yeah, I was just kidding. I, I don't think there's an official uh, official thing there. If there was, I might win, but you know. Yeah, no, I think you would definitely be at the top of the list. Uh, Ariel, uh, why don't you tell people where you've reached on social media, and then plug all your stuff, because... Uh, I mean, I, I gave you some, some, some major plugs because you, you deserve them, uh, but let people know where they can get your work. Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. That's a pretty short Twitter handle, ATCNY. You can read my stuff, as uh, Justin said, uh, um, at uh, Fangraphs, at CBS Sportsline. I'm also going to be on Roto Bowler this year as well. Nice. And then you do the uh, TGFBI podcast with uh, your your good friend, uh, Ruvain Guy. Uh, Yes. Yes, forgot to mention that, but yeah, you can check out our podcast, which is uh, uh, good stuff. Uh, I I know the uh, editor producer. Uh, that mm-hmm. would be you, Justin. Yes, uh, he's great, a good guy. Great job on that. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, definitely. Listen, uh, we do a lot of strategy, 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 strategy. Half our episodes are always dedicated to that, and we we do get to players and analysis of that also but we talk about how do you know when to do fab how do you know what 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 you should pick in the first two rounds auction tips nomination tips and so much goes into it into the thinking uh stuff that you really can't get anywhere else so uh listen to that uh, just uh search for the great fantasy baseball invitational and we do the beat the shift uh episodes yep you guys do an amazing job it was uh, a fantastic uh opportunity when you guys asked to come and do a podcast uh, on that feed uh so i i'm super grateful to have you guys on there and uh i always enjoy uh the episodes uh the beat the shift episodes thank you thank you uh so today we're going to talk about auctions uh we're gonna we're talk about your uh, labor auction which happened about a week ago and then we're gonna talk uh uh, pretty much about general auction strategy because this is a time of year people are really starting to get drafts going uh, we only have a few weeks until the start of the season so I, I'm really you know Paul and I will still kind of work on some of the uh, you know play or uh, position previews but mostly uh, Jason and I when when we get together uh, or me and a guest uh, we're gonna talk about uh, kind of just general strategy tips and, and things that were, were kind of prepping for coming into our drafts so today is auction day uh and let's start with your uh your labor auction it was the first ever mixed labor auction uh there's been a mixed labor draft for god knows how long probably 30 or 40 years uh but this was the first time they've ever done a mixed auction so what was your strategy going in because it's a new league. It's a bunch of people you probably haven't played against before, uh, and it's uh, you know it's a format typically uh, that people don't play a whole ton of. Yeah, actually, I happen to play in a lot of auctions and specifically uh, smaller league size, like 10, 12 teams. So for me, it was actually right up my alley, and I thought that might have given me a small advantage to a lot of people who might have only played in uh, only leagues or might have played in deeper 15-team leagues in the industry. Um, I don't think anybody in the industry has ever played an auction with me. This was my first one ever, so I don't think people had any idea what I was going to do. Uh, I've watched a bunch of auctions of other people in, in this league, so I knew a little bit about what they do. 
Um, in terms of general strategy, um, the, the, the overarching theme is value, value, value. I'm a huge proponent of value drafting. In an auction, you're given $260 to spend on the players. And I compute what I think the correct auction value is. Uh, and all the dollars have to total to $260. But I don't want to pay $260 worth of my dollars to buy $260 worth of the players. That would just give me an average team. I want to buy $300 worth of player value for $260. Uh, so in order to do that, you can't be playing. You can't be paying par value for everybody. You have to buy people at a discount. A eighteen dollar player, you got to buy for fifteen. A twenty five dollar player, you got to buy for twenty one. So in general, I want to seek uh, the bargains. Now, you know, up top for the really expensive players, you might have to buy one or two at par because everybody is going a little bit higher. And I did that. Uh, and then at the bottom, you know, you'll get a couple players who are eight, nine dollar players for one or two dollars. Um, but the idea is to pile on as much value as you can. Um, that's, that's the general strategy. Okay. Do you uh, uh, have any sort of positions you're unwilling to pay up for? Some people are like, I'm only going to pay for dollar catchers, especially in a mixed format. Um, or uh, do you have like a, a way of <laughs> pricing out your positions before you start? You know, Some people go, okay, I'm going to have... One thirty dollar player, one twenty dollar player, you know, a bunch or you know, a few twenty dollar players, and then, uh, you know, a bunch of ten dollar players, and then I'm gonna have you know this amount of fives, this amount of twos, this amount of ones. Do you do you do that? So th there's a lot of things I do. Well, first of all, the most important thing, other than computing your own values, what you think players are worth, is knowing what you think the market or your auction is going to pay for them. And I spend a lot of time doing what I call ADP dollars, which is I take the ADP that's available on either NFBC or on Fantrax. Uh, Mock Draft Central used to be a source that I used for ADP sources. And I uh, have formulas and I convert them to dollars. I, I assume, you know, Acuna is going to be the number one guy. And I figure out that Acuna is probably going to go for $48 and Trout's going to go for 44 and so on and so forth all the way down the line. And I come up with a price that I think the market's going to go for uh, before the draft. It's not always going to be right. Sometimes I notice, oh, look, like looks like third basemen are going higher than I thought. Well, then I adjust my prices up uh, for, for that. If they're going $2 over my prediction, I just add $2. If speed players are going $3 over my prediction, I'll just add $3 to speed players. But I come up with a guess first, um, originally. Now, when you get your guesses and you have your values, you'll notice that there are some players that are way overvalued. Some are somewhat overvalued, some are bargains, and some are big bargains. That lets me know who the players I think I'm going to probably get because I'm higher than the market. And I'll see what dollars they're going for, and I'll say, well, looks like there's a couple of players at around $4 that I might be getting, and I'll say, all right, I think I'm going to get a $4 player. Then I'll see there might be a couple of guys at around $20 who look like pretty decently priced, and I'll write down 20 I think I'll get a $20 one. And I do that for every single position. I do that for every single player. And I come up with an original plan, original target for each position, each price point, where I think I'm going to play. Um, catchers, it, it depends. Uh, I might see it and I say, well, looks like I'll be able to get a good $1 catcher and looks like I might play at the $7 mark. Some years I'll say, I really want to get a top catcher because I think they're fairly priced. Uh, so it really depends year on year. It depends on comparing what you think the market's doing. Uh, and of course, things can change in, in, in the middle of the auction and you have to be prepared for that. But you know, just know what's being overpriced compared to what you thought and adjust and uh, go from there. Hmm, that's a really good strategy. We'll, we'll dig a little bit into your team, but we're not going to go like player by player. Uh, was there a player that you thought coming in that would be underpriced, but ended up being overpriced. Uh oh, I I mean I'm sure there there were. Uh, it's hard for me to remember. Um, I, you know I I'm not guys who are married to guys like I must buy this player. Um, I, like I came in thinking I might be getting Eddie Rosario. I think Rosario is a fantastic deal, so I thought there was a you know very good chance I might get him, and and I I did. Um, I didn't know whether I was going to get, for example, I threw out my first nomination was Raphael Devers. I had no idea if I was going to get him. 
I threw him out for $24, and crickets came, so I won him. Um, I don't I don't remember who, who I didn't get. I only remember who I thought I might get, and, you know, luckily I'll get, I'll get some of the players. On the pitching side, I had no idea who I was going to get. Uh, I didn't have anybody who I especially thought, oh, I'm probably going to for sure get this guy. Uh, um, I got the, the pitchers at whatever bargain prices I thought. Okay. Uh, is Was there a buy that you felt really, really good about? Uh, on your team, somebody that you went, oh man, I've got this guy five dollars under, uh, you know, mar- what I think is is the correct price. Yeah, uh, I I I thought that uh, Michael Conforto at twelve dollars was a great buy. Uh, I mean, uh, I am a Mets fan, so it's a little bit of a homer pick, but I thought that you know for the amount of power that he might bring, twelve dollar, which is not a very expensive price, was great. And I loved uh, Rafael Devers at twenty four. I mean, he was worth like thirty five dollars in his format last year, um, and you know even if he regresses some, that takes him well above twenty four. I was I was shocked that nobody bid over me. I wouldn't have gone that much higher. But uh, I thought that it was a nice couple dollar bargain there. Oh, I, I love I love uh, Devers this year. I've been getting in uh, in a number of drafts, so I, I completely agree with you that that feels like uh, a little bit of a fleecing. So uh, any uh, <laughs> let's talk about Aaron Judge because you did get Aaron Judge in this draft. Uh, obviously, had you known that he wasn't going to be ready to start the season and potentially could be out for longer, you wouldn't have uh, bid fourteen dollars on him. Uh, how how uh, bummed are you about the Aaron Judge news? Yeah, I know that was a big bummer. Um, I mean, Aaron Judge, if healthy, is a $30 plus player. <clears throat> and at the time, you know, it looked like he, you know, will be out the, maybe the first week, month. Uh, even if he was out half a season, a $14 bargain is great. And unlike the NFBC, this particular league has injured list slots. So I'm not wasting a roster spot by holding him. Uh, so I thought 14 14- was you know great buy. You, you have to take some risks, you know, especially in, in in a mixed shallow league. And I thought that was a great one to get. Now with the news, now uh, I'm a little bit less happy. Uh, ju- it's going to be binary: either Judge rests for a month and he comes up and uh, he's able to perform, or he goes for surgery and he's out for the year. So crossing my fingers on him. You know, if not, you know, it's not like he's a thirty dollar player. He's a fourteen dollar player. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about some just kind of general auction strategies. Uh, and you you kind of mentioned uh, a little bit about nominations and uh, having a nomination strategy. So talk a little bit about what your nomination strategy is. All right, well, you know, a lot of people think that in the beginning of auctions, just throw out players that you don't want that are high-priced. Uh, let's say you don't like Mookie Betts. Just throw out Mookie Betts and let everybody bid on him and waste money. But I think you can do a lot better. I think there's good information you need to know uh, about strategies. And you want to nominate players before uh, they're the last player in the tier. I mean, if, if, if you really want Max Scherzer, for example, I throw him out right away. Because he's not going to go higher if there's still DeGrum and Cole and Verlander on the table. If those three are gone and Scherzer is the last player of the tier... He's going to go for a lot. So I throw out players earlier than they should if you go one, two, three, four, five. Um, I, I like just having, uh, you know, I don't want the economics to, to, to force. Like if there's a low supply in the room, if there's only one guy left in the tier, you know, economics tells you that that guy's price will be inflated. So I just throw out players early on. Um, you know, I threw out Rafael Devers early because, you know, he was not Arenado. Right? If Arenado came out first, then Devers' price would go higher. So I didn't want that. So I threw out Devers first, thinking I might be able to get a better bargain because Arenado is still on the table. That's my general nomination strategy. Well, and I'll add on to that, too. Not only do you not want to end up, you know, uh, uh, you, you do not want to be left out of a tier. A lot of times, the last guy in a tier, that's everybody's last guy in their tier. So yeah. you're gonna get you could get into a bidding war because people don't want to be left out of that tier at that position. Uh, prime example for me is in the NL Tout Wars uh, last year. Uh, there were you know pretty much two you know elite starting pitchers coming into the draft in Degrom and Scherzer, and I threw out Scherzer first uh, and bought him for I think I think it was like thirty eight or thirty nine dollars. Uh, 
you know, and then a bidding war happened on DeGrom. Now, most people had DeGrom after uh, uh, Scherzer, but he ended up going for $3 more than what I spent on Scherzer because people didn't want to be left out of that tier. So sometimes exactly. sometimes it's best to get that guy you want, especially if it's a guy in a tier, out there before that tier runs dry because you don't want to end up getting into a bidding war over, over, over that guy you want. Exactly. And the other thing is, let's say you think that a player is going to go for a $5 bargain according to you know your ADP dollars and your values, and somebody is going to go for a $3 bargain, you really need to get the $5 bargain nomination out first because if the $3 bargain guy comes out first and it's up to $3, you don't know whether you should take him or not because, hey, I might be able to get a bigger bargain later. If I take this guy now, I can't afford that guy. So you might as well just throw out the guy you want first. And if you get the great bargain, great. And if not, well, then there's the other guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of throwing out guys that you want in general. Now, of course, you can't throw out every single guy you want because then the whole room will know what you're doing. Um, so you got to play a little bit of poker. But in general, I wouldn't waste nominations and say, let's get money out. The one exception to that, though, of course, is if you buy two big first basemen or corners, like I bought Raphael Devers and Freddie Freeman high, I'm not going to buy a high-priced first baseman, right? So I threw out Paul, Gold, Paul Goldschmidt. Let him go for some money because I just can't afford him. Uh, get him off the board. Yeah, the other thing, uh, you know, I'll kind of mention too with nominations uh, is it's a good way, you know, especially early on in, a, in an auction to figure out what the pricing structure is going to be in that particular auction. Because as much as we can make auction values kind of for the general public, uh, you know, we have the ATC auction values in the Friends of Fantasy Benefits Draft Guide, which is still available on Amazon.com, or you can email me at justinmasonfantasy yeah. at gmail.com uh, for a $7 PDF. Uh, like, we have those we have those auction values from ATC in there. Every auction is going to be different. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes closers are going to go for more, and sometimes speed is going to go for more, or sometimes, uh, you know, a certain position is going to be... Uh, have a higher premium in individual drafts and you need to kind of adjust for that. And if you are in a league where maybe you don't know everybody, maybe this isn't just your, your buddy's league, you're, you're playing NFBC or, or uh, you join a new league and you don't really know how the price structure uh, is going to turn out being throwing out players from different kind of pockets, whether it be corner infield or closer or starting pitcher early uh, gives you kind of a barometer of, okay, uh, you know, let's see, you know, if I throw out Kenley Jansen here and he goes for uh, $15, okay, I know that his kind of tier of closer are going to go around that. Nobody, you know, typically no one's going to really jump up to $22 on, on, on a guy uh, when 15 was the initial price for that uh, tier. That's right. But if, uh, if you don't throw out the guy that you want, if somebody else throws a closer out first and you don't really want him, um, the first closer that's thrown out is going to go cheaper than the next one in the same tier. You know, if you throw out, um, I don't know, let's say Ken Giles, uh, Edwin Diaz is going to go higher than he really should because Giles was already off the board. So, you know, got to jump on prices early before the market takes it up. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, do you kind of account for... Uh, you know, in draft inflation. So that, that's a good question. And by in draft inflation, you're talking about the fact that if if players are going for an overspend, it means that later on people are going to be cheaper. Is that mm -hmm. is that what you're? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I keep track of it, but I really don't believe in 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 doing in really giving too much weight to that because, you know, to me a bargain's a bargain. You know, if 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 if, if prices are ridiculous high. Just be patient and and wait it out and and people and, and you're gonna get you're gonna get your bargains later. Now you might have to buy one guy in in for for a much bigger price so that you don't have money at the end, right? If if you just say I'm just gonna buy only bargains, well, you might just be buying five and ten dollar players. You you'll have like forty dollars left over. So you got to buy one guy at market prices, right? You know, spend thirty. Five dollars on one guy, and then just wait, 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 wait. Uh, so in doing that, I ignore inflation, and I just say I'm just gonna wait for when the prices make sense. I'll buy one guy just so that I don't lose all my money, and just go from there. I think you don't have to keep track of inflation if if you're smart about it. 
Yeah, I tend to keep track of inflation, but I use a program to do it for me because I know some people I yeah. see them writing down the plus one or plus three or, or minus one, minus three, you know, for every uh, dollar under over their uh, total uh, projection uh, or uh, price projection uh, is I, I have a hard time doing that and keeping track of every part of the draft because, uh, you know, I do things inside of it inside of an auction where you know, especially on guys that I really like or, or guys that uh, I might be looking to trade at some point in season, I keep track of who's bidding. So if I buy a player, let's say I buy Colton Wong, and I, you know, I have two other people who are in on the bidding towards the end of, of buying Colton Wong, I'll make sure I write down, you know, uh, you know, John and Fred's name next to Colton Wong on my sheet. So that way, later on, if I'm looking to trade Colton Wong for some other uh, category, I know the guys to kind of go talk to in terms of, hey, these were guys that were in on him at the draft. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier that I do the, the market uh, ADP dollar thing, um, and that usually has inflation built in. You know, the bottom guys are going to be much cheaper. So as long as you're not way off of, of that scheme, I don't think you have to keep track of inflation. And again, if if I thought that starting pitchers were going to go, you know, uh, you know, if I thought the Scherzers and the DeGrums were going to go for 35 and it turns out they're going for 45, well, you know, I'll just write that it's plus plus 10 and I better pay plus 10 for a top starting pitcher. Um, I mean, that usually won't go that much of an overboard, but you know, if it's two, $3, I'll say, all right, I can pay, take my values and whatever it is, add three on the top. Um, because I'll know that it'll deduct from the bottom and it'll be even deflated more on the bottom. Um, but I don't specifically track of it. I just look at how big of a difference it is from what my prediction was. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, kind of. Uh, team construction. Uh, I mean, some people really go with a stars and scrub approach. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, that's buying a bunch of really expensive players and then kind of filling in your team with cheaper players. And then some people are more uh, tend to do a more balanced approach where they don't want a bunch of one dollar players or two dollar players. They they want guys uh, that uh, are are you know as close to ten dollars uh, as uh, as possible. So where do you kind of fall typically? I mean, I assume you're more of a balanced guy considering you go based off of your own, uh, you know, ATC projections and those auction values. But uh, is there a time in which you'll go stars and scrubs or do you like a stars and scrubs approach? I mean, it really depends on the format and on the year. And, you know, when I do that valuation of where I think the market is versus mine, sometimes it'll lead to stars and scrubs, sometimes lead to balance. In general, you, you want to not really do either. You want to play in every tier, right? You want to play up top, you want to play in the middle, and you want to play at the end because there's going to be some relative bargains at each stage of the game, right? If Trout is going for for 42, but Yelich is going for 50 and Acuna is going for 51, Trout is a relative bargain, and you would want to play that, right? Um, so it's not, it's not about... Uh, uh, the whole holistic method. It's about getting uh, a value at every stage. So I would I would say play at every tier. In general, though, I found that for pitchers, you're a little bit better off doing stars and scrubs, especially these days when you have the big top ace pitchers, Degrom and Cole, um, even guys like Walker Bueller at the top. Uh, I think that the return on investment, and I, I've studied this, the return on investment for ace type pitchers, top ten pitchers, is a much higher. Uh, get uh, you're much more likely to to get a positive return on investment than you are by taking middle middle uh, pitchers. I think Paul Sporer calls it the glob. I'd like to avoid the glob. So in general, pitching will skew towards stars and scrubs. Uh, hitters, the opposite. I think that the balanced approach is better. I'd rather pick up more bargains and have a bigger quantity than just pick up one big Acuna and then go one, one, one dollars at the end. Uh, it's much less risky. And I think you can overall have more profit by going. Um, but again, I, I try to play everywhere, but I just drift more balanced in hitting more stars and scrubs pitching. That That's what I've observed over the past couple of years. I'm very similar to you in that regard, in terms of, I really try to let in auctions, I let the board kind of come to me. Uh, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, kind of lock into a strategy until uh, I'm, 
at least in into the draft, uh, you know, I kind of just buy my you know buy my values, and then I start kind of putting together a strategy. You know, sometimes I walk into a draft. I, you know, I walked into the uh, the Tout Wars head-to-head points league a few years ago, going, I know exactly what I'm doing, and it's up to the room to stop me. Uh, and uh, you know that was I, I, I value I, I ran my values and I went okay pitching is way uh, way more valuable in this points uh, league format than hitting I'm gonna spend 200 of my 260 dollars on pitching and and I did and I end up I end up buying you know the top two pitchers uh, that year which were Scherzer and Kershaw uh, and then buying a bunch of other uh, starting pitchers and it, the strategy itself was very sound. Unfortunately, the players I ended up walking away with had some injuries, and uh, I, I kind of I really struggled in that league. But in spite of that, I, I still finished, you know, fa- fairly decently. Um, but typically, I, I really don't kind of go into a uh, an auction with an idea. Well, here I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a stars and scrubs roster, or I'm gonna have a balanced roster. It's gonna really be dictated by what the pricing is. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, again, see where the pockets of dollars that you want to play are at, and set a plan, and be prepared to adjust to it. Uh, I, I've, I, 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 uh, we said this at, uh, we gave a presentation at uh, First Pitch Florida last week uh, with Ruben and I, and you know, we played in two NFBC leagues last year, and we came in with the exact same plan. One of them we ended up doing more stars and scrubs, and the other one we did more balanced because that's how the room fell out. So you know, start with a plan and be prepared to adjust quickly. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's very good advice. Uh, I don't. Do you play a lot of mono leagues? I probably should have asked you this before we started recording. I play none, none okay. whatsoever. Okay, so uh, I guess I'll talk a little bit about uh, moving from a mixed uh, strategy to a mono league strategy. Uh, mo- mono leagues are uh, kind of a different animal, and if you've never played in one, I highly recommend it. One. It gives you a really, really, really deep and good understanding of the player pool. So a lot of people stay away from mono leagues because they're so deep, and you end up having to roster really, you know, let's be honest, crappy baseball players. Um, but they really help with your mixed leagues because you know that player pool probably better than the rest of the people in your mixed leagues if you play in a mono league. So I highly recommend them. Uh, I, I will say that. You have to be very careful of the tier cliffs uh, in mono leagues, and uh, it's really difficult to do stars and scrubs in a, in a mono league because uh, the scrubs are really, really scrubby and can really be kind of a uh, a negative value on your on your uh, overall team. So just be very, very careful of that. Yeah, I know Jeff Zimmerman said that if you really want to know what information you're missing go and take a look at the labor AL and NL only leagues. And if you don't know a player who's on there, look them up. Uh, and that will prepare you for any league that you do this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much do you spend on hitting versus pitching? Um, so it depends on the format, but in a roto league or a, a categories league, uh, the answer is you should be spending what the market actually is doing if if the draft room is spending 65 percent of their budget on hitting so should you if if you're spending 70 percent and the room is spending 60 percent what's going to happen is according to your value sheets all hitters are going to appear to be bargains and all pitchers are going to be appear to be overspends you don't want that you want to have hitters appear to be neither bargains or overspends and pitchers to be neither here or there so that you can find a relative bargain per each group. Uh, do your best guess as to what it is. And if in the auction you see that things are going hotter for pitchers or hotter for hitters, adjust right away and tilt to what you think the market's going to end up for the lead. Okay. Uh, how do you approach the end game of an auction? I mean, some people really like to make sure they have the most amount of money, have that hammer. Some people are okay just being like, okay, I, I don't need the hammer. I'm, I'm, I'm okay playing in dollar days or, or you know, buying a bunch of $2 players. How do you like to approach the end game? Um, I, I don't really think of it too much. Um, you know, you, you go where the money is. I, I will say, though, that I don't like to be far ahead or far behind the pack at any point in terms of money. If, if you've spent $100 more than the, the next uh, highest player, it means you might be waiting a while. 
and you won't be able to go in on bargains. And if you have too much money left over, if you have $50 more than the next person, you might overspend for players just because you have the money and you don't want it to just go to waste. So the best way is during the whole draft to keep pace with everybody else. As far as the end game, end game, uh, I've had times where I'm the first one to finish, and I've had times where I have three $1 players left and nobody else has any. It's just however it falls. I really don't think of it. I just want to try to keep pace for as long as I can and scoop up bargains where I can. Yeah, I'm I'm very similar. I, I typically like to have a few extra dollars towards the end, but I'm not going to save them if I'm finding bargains in the middle rounds. I think one of the things that people forget is typically, especially in, in uh, your auctions where the bidding early on is fast and furious, and my experience with auction leagues that, that are home leagues, uh, you know, with friends and things like that, uh, is typically the bidding is fast and furious in the beginning, and then people run out of money. And then there's a lull, like right in the middle. And so sometimes people will avoid that lull because they're trying to save money for the end, thinking, okay, this is where I'm going to get the guys, you know, that I think are the sleepers, whereas they probably should be just bidding in those lulls, make, making sure they're, you know, extracting as much value as humanly possible. So uh, while it's always great to have the hammer at the end, if you have the hammer, you may have missed out on some bargains in the middle. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I think that you should just be looking for the bargains and forget about the hammer entirely. Of course, if you do have the hammer, uh, you want to play it wisely. You want to throw out guys and start them at $2 when you can, throw them at $3 when you can. If they're really important to get, put them higher. If you think you can snipe them for one, great. But if somebody goes two, be prepared to go three if you have to. Uh, so, you, you know, you, obviously, you know, you see where you are at the end and you have to be very conscious of of what to bid and what other people need. If somebody needs a second baseman and so do you, uh, bid the right amount so that you'll get the guy you want, um, whether you have the hammer or not. Are you a fan of price enforcing? Because there are, I have gone back and forth over the course of uh, my years playing uh, auction <laughs> leagues. I mean, auctions leagues are what I started with 20 years ago. Uh, so, like, I have a lot of experience with it, and sometimes price enforcing uh, works really well for me. Sometimes I end up getting stuck with someone I don't want. And, and for those who don't know what price enforcing is, uh, price enforcing is when you have no real interest in uh, acquiring a player, uh, but you see a price is too low according to your, your values, and so you bid them up with someone in hopes that they're they're just going to end up spending a few dollars more than they could have gotten had you not done that. I mean, I, I will never make a bid that I think, goodness gracious, that's a ridiculous bid. Um, you know, you don't want to throw out something that you're not prepared to take. But in general, why would I want somebody paying $10 for a player when he'd pay, pay $12 instead? I mean, I, I, I want to extract as much value from, from those guys as possible, and uh, I'll look at them. Uh, most people, if, if you notice in an, in an auction, they're looking at their papers, they're looking at a computer. Uh, I mean, what I like to do is I, I know what my dollar point is for a guy, and I'll use the time to just stare down the player and poker-read them and see what they're going to go up to. Um, I love Jeff Zimmerman, but he was pretty easy to read when I played against him in labor uh, mixed auction. Uh, I, I knew when he would go the extra dollar. Um, you could just see him looking and, and prepared to go up. So, yeah, I, I, I'd price enforce him because uh, I knew he would go the extra dollar. I wouldn't say a bid that I wasn't comfortable with. I mean, if Zimmerman's bidding on a guy, I, I know it's still a bargain. Uh, but... Absolutely. Get the most money out of guys. Remember, people need players. And if you're in the middle of an auction, especially, and people have the money, they're going to spend the money. So you might as well bid them up an extra dollar if you can. 100%. Yeah, I just want people to be careful of uh, <laughs> not bidding on players that either don't fit into your team uh, or... Uh, you going over what your projected values are for someone because you think, like, uh, this is what they should be going for, uh, even though your values say something different. Because I think what what becomes a mistake is when you go, uh, Matt Olsen is worth uh, $23, according to, uh, you know, my spreadsheet. But you've seen him go $25 a bunch of times, and people go, 
well, I'll bid someone up to that $23 to make sure I'm extracting as much value from uh, from them as possible. Well, th- that's not a that's not a good strategy. If your if your sheet says $23 and you believe in your projections or believe in your auction value, then then don't then don't go to that point trying to uh, price enforce someone. It's a it's a mistake that happens a lot in kind of in home leagues and uh, I highly recommend staying away from that if if you can't kind of control yourself there. Um, you know, also uh, you want to use your voice. It's, it's harder to do online, and I won't price enforce as much online. But if you're in person and you are good at, I'm not going to say hypnotizing, but if you are good at psychologically uh, forcing or uh, you know yellow chickening a guy to go up. Uh, you should be doing the price enforcing. I try to make my voice and I yell out bids in a certain way that entices somebody to go up higher. Or I try to yell out bids a certain way that doesn't want to go someone higher. And believe it or not, you can actually do it. Uh, You know, if you have a lot of practice in auctions and you can see how your inflection point in your voice goes, will get a a bit higher or not. It's not going to work 100% of the time. But you can actually get a guy to bid up by, you know, some snarky comment that you say after, you know, 10 final offer where, you know, you can make have fun in the auction. And believe it or not, it actually works. So uh, I, I might sometimes go above what I think a player is priced. I won't bid a price that I think I can't handle, but that would be terrible. And I don't want to bid on a guy that my roster can't handle. I mean, I, I don't want to bid on a third catcher, right? Uh, don't, don't do that. You know, if you have two catchers, even though a catcher could be worth $10 and some guy goes one, don't say two. You know, you might end up with them, and that would be a major travesty. Uh, but as long as your roster can handle it and the money can handle it and you think that you can extract another dollar, go for it and play poker. It's, it's, it's a psychological thing. It's an economic thing. Auctions are really fun. Uh, it's not just numbers. It's not just baseball. It's all of that uh, and all of the above. I think that is an amazing point and something we don't hear a lot about uh, is because I know I do that. Like you, like you said, you like to read people and look at their face and kind of figure out whether or not you're going to be able to extract that extra dollar. I do the opposite. Well, I mean, I, I do that as well, but I also do the opposite, which is I change my facial expressions to kind of Hollywood things to make people feel I'm stronger or weaker while during the bidding process. So I, I may, like, if we're going back and forth on Eloy Jimenez, um, and we get to, you know, $14, I might go, oh, oh my God, and, you know, really look over my sheets, um, really kind of play it up, and go, okay, 15 Even though I'm willing to go to $19, I'm hoping that they think they're extracting as much value in that moment, um, than you know, uh, th- than they actually are, and, and, and vice versa. Sometimes you know, if if I feel like that's not working, maybe I'll, I'll go the you know stone faced route for a little while and kind of switch things up and see what's getting a better reaction from my opponents. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, definitely the poker is the good thing. I, we were in the auction with Alex Fast. Every time he wanted a player, he would look at the monitor uh, for, and every time he would bid, you could easily tell. I mean. You know, if you're a poker player, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he looked up, he turned around, and I knew he wanted the player. I just go dollar above. He'll beat me because he had the money, and and uh, that was his tell. I know uh, Doug Dennis. Uh, uh, I think he was in the AL, uh, or I can't remember AL or NL, but uh, you know, every time he clicked the pen, he would go for a player. Uh, you know, these little little things really can help you extract a lot of money, uh, and you know, you can have all your auction values, and you can do all the math like I do. But that will give you that little extra dollar here and there. And believe it or not, those extra dollars add up. Well, and you need to be also cognizant of your own tells. You know, really kind of, especially early on in a draft, if you get into kind of a heated uh, bidding war on a player or if you, uh, you know, see if there's anything that you personally do when a player comes up that you know you're going to be in on. uh, Oh, yeah. You know, so that way you're not giving away too much. Yeah, I mean, I try to be as monotonous a voice as I can. I make my bids really fast, really loud. I remember the first bid I made in, in, in the uh, labor, and nobody's ever heard me do this. I, I basically screamed it out, seven! You know, and, and people are like, whoa, we heard that. But I kept, I kept, I kept doing that the whole auction, um, so people can't really tell what I'm doing. 
and I try to avoid a poker face. And, and somebody would bid six, I go seven within a, a second. Didn't want people to think. The less, uh, another thing, a strategy of thing. Don't let people think. You know, you have the numbers in your head. Prepare yourself. Know what numbers you're going to go to before a guy comes up, and just keep bidding. Outbid the guy. Don't give people choice to think. J- jump up a, a bid. If a guy bids seven and you're going to go to twelve, just go to nine. Go to eleven. You know, jump them. Give them less chance to think. Think that, oh, goodness, now I really have to pay more. Uh, Very, very big strategy. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point because I think often uh, kind of in new auctions, we uh, players tend to want to go by dollar increments. (laughs) Like, like, okay, $5, $6, $7. Well, while that may be more comfortable, it gives your competition time to think as opposed to knowing okay this guy's gonna go for 17 dollars let's get it to 14 real quick uh and and see and sometimes that freezes the room like one of the things like you said mentioned earlier you know you threw out Raphael devers for 24 dollars and the room went silent now some people go well he lost value well some people might have just been like oh i don't have time to really think about whether or not this is a good buy or not so maybe i'm just gonna stay out so i don't uh, take a bad buy early uh, so jumping bids isn't a bad thing, and I think some people are really afraid to do it in their first few auctions. Yeah, room freezes are also good. I, I don't do it that many, that often, but very, very often you start somebody really high, but within your realm, and they won't bid over. And you use that, you know, use that when when you can. Um, the other thing I'll mention is uh, a lot of people think, oh, you know, the the, the nines, like the, the, go, go to 19 because nobody is going to say 20 because it's a new number. And actually, that's a bunch of BS. Uh, we've, I've actually done some studies, which I might even publish an article for it, but uh, it's actually the zeros and the fives. Uh, people don't want to go from 15 to 16. 15 is more of a stopping point. You get, a, if you look at, you know, I, I've taken... Uh, you know, all my historical home league bids for the last 10 years, and you graph them and you see like a chart, you know, a lot of ones, a lot of twos, a little bit less threes, and all that. There's a spike in the fives, in the 10, the 15, the 20, the 25, uh, not the nines. Um, so if you can somehow get a guy on 20, 25, believe, believe it or not, that sometimes works. Not always, it's not that efficient, but for the little, little edge that it could be, just go to 25 instead of 24. Maybe you'll get that. Okay, and you just brought up another great point that I'm going to add to the sheet because uh, I think often people kind of they get their uh, their values for for the, for the season or for their draft, and they go, okay, this is what I'm going with, and they don't look deeply enough into their historical uh, kind of drafts. So that, and what I mean by that is going back into previous drafts and really looking at where the price points were, because it, it, it's very, very important, especially if you're in a long time league. So, like NL yes. NL Tout last year, it was my first year in it, but the like the majority of the guys in NL Tout had been like drafting together for five to ten years, and so I was able last year to go into NL Tout's kind of history, because uh, luckily it's uh, it's all saved there through people's articles and and, uh, and podcasts and things, and go okay. This is what the top tier closers go for. This is what the top tier starters go for. This is, you know, where the catchers go for. And kind of really map out a plan for myself like, okay, you know, things can obviously change in draft, but I have a really good idea of what Scherzer's going to go for this year, what Kenley Jansen's going to go for this year, you know, what uh, Buster Posey's going to go for this year based on previous years. So if you're not doing that research, you're really setting yourself uh, behind the eight ball. Oh, a thousand percent. Now, earlier in the, in the show, I mentioned that I take ADP and I run it through a formula to get what I think the dollars are. But you know what? If you have uh, a historical league that you've been in for 10 years, and I do this too, don't don't just do a formula. Take what people go for. Like, take the pricing curve. If you see that the top player always goes for $40, you can bet that the top player this year will go something close to 40 And the second highest player will go for 39 uh, And, you know, match up. Like, literally take a list of all your values from the previous year and maybe in the middle of the auction uh the the 50th player goes for 19 dollars well take the adp the 50th ranked player it's probably going to be 19 dollars uh that's a great pricing curve to use to convert adp to adp dollars i highly recommend doing that and i mean if you're if you're playing in leagues where 
you don't know the people, like let's say you're playing in NFBC this year, uh, doing some of those auctions, or even NFBC drafts, uh, if you show up to live events, like go to all the drafts. I, I, I can't recommend this enough. I did this last year uh, for my main event draft where, you know, Friday there's a bunch of drafts and auctions that I wasn't participating in. And, and Ariel can tell you because he does some of the Friday auctions. Uh, I stood there and just watched uh, because there are a lot of players in those auctions and other in other drafts that were going to be in my draft the next day. And so I was getting a book on them early on. And so if you're not like on Twitter and follow, you know, if you're playing in the NFBC, especially some of these big money events, and you're not following people on Twitter that are going to be in your league, uh, you're, you're really, you're really not giving yourself kind of the full advantage. Yeah. And I mentioned Rockfield Devers. The only reason, and Ruben and I discussed it before we threw him out. The only reason I went for Devers was that he came out as such a big bargain when I viewed the previous auction in the AL uh, labor that he went for a big bargain. I said, huh, if Devers is going for bargain AL labor, I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to try Devers to see if I can get a bargain in mine. Now, I'm playing in the NFBC next week. Uh, it probably won't be Devers. In fact, I've done some research, and it's not going to be him. I might be throwing out somebody else, another first baseman or so, that I think is going for a bargain, Abreu or whoever. Uh, but do the research because that will know what to do. And by the way, I just want to point out, Justin, that you know all the strategies we're talking about here – it's not even mathematical. We're not even talking about knowing baseball here. This is just talking about doing research of what people are bidding, poker, price enforcing, jumping bids, playing the market. Like these are all psychology. These are all economics. And believe it or not, you, pro you, you can play this game even if you don't know much about baseball. Obviously, it helps to know a lot about baseball and it helps to have, you know, hey, use the ATC projections and get your pricing. That's going to be awesome. Uh, but the, the, that's half of it. Half of it is all these psychologies and knowing how to do it. And if you're good at it, you could really win an auction alone just from the psychology and economics. Yeah, I mean, this is game theory and at its finest. It's it's trying to beat the other players at a game. Because ultimately, while obviously this is, you know, based on real-life baseball and, and knowing statistics, knowing the players, you know, uh, you know, knowing how they're going to perform, that obviously is a huge portion of it. But ultimately, it's a game. And we're, we're trying to win a game. And if you're not using the rules... Uh, and the advantages in the game, you're, you're not giving yourself the best chance to win. Yeah, and I'll also say that, um, you know, projections, you can say what you want about projections. Um, I think projections are a great point, and, you know, obviously Fantasy Pros ranked my rankings, which are all based off of projections, as the number one, so and you can try to make your own, and you won't you won't be able to do materially better than ATC. To me, just take AT, just take ATC to your auction and use that as your values and spend your time doing this other stuff and learning about psychology and learning about who to bid on. Spend your time doing that because you're going to have a much better advantage on the room doing that than trying to beat uh, uh, projections. Of course, if you, you think that this guy developed a curveball and it's not in the projections, of course move him up. I'm not saying take him as the gospel, but I'm saying spend more time on the game theory than spend time on the rigging projections and, and, and changing values and, oh, this i got to get this guy on my team. Well, you know, if projections say he's not going to be that great, you know, take, take a double take maybe. I, I completely agree with you, and uh, you definitely should be using the ATC projections. Uh, Ariel was the number one ranker, according to Fantasy Pros, last year, and had the number one projection system. Uh, and you can get those projections and the auction values associated with them in the Friends of Fantasy Benefits Draft Guide, which can still be found on uh, Amazon, or you can email me for a, P a $7 PDF uh, uh, Fantasy at gmail.com. And, and, you know, Justin, what's good about the, the auction values that are in the book is that it's not a one thing fits all. We have tailored, we have 10 team leagues, we've got 12 team leagues, we've got 15 team leagues in there, we've got one catcher, two catcher leagues, mono leagues. You can literally take your book to any format you play on this year, and you'll have custom rankings for it. It's, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's you did a great job, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on for the draft guide this year. I also really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Justin. It's been a pleasure.
Uh, remind everybody where they can reach you on social media and then plug all your work. Again, my Twitter handle is ATCNY. Give me a follow and uh, check up on all the updates. I do the ATC projections on Fangraphs and it's also on CBS Sportsline. I write regularly for both those sites, and I'm going to be writing for Rotoballer re- regularly as well. Uh, you can even check out an article I had on finding combination players uh, and how that might help you in spotting some value. Guys like Keston Hyura, man, that guy does a little bit of everything, a little bit undervalued because he's safer than people think. So if you want to learn stuff like that, go on to Rotoballer. And of course, as you mentioned, listen to my podcast, which is the the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational podcast, the Beat the Shift editions. Check it out. Subscribe. Listen to every episode seven times. And the nice thing about uh, <laughs> the nice thing about our thing is that it's really not time sensitive. Um, our strategy discussions are really useful, no matter what. You can t- listen to last year's podcast and listen to the first half hour on every single one, and the strategy is applicable for today. And we bring on really the greatest guests, the, the best guests in the industry all the guys you know and follow, and we bring them on for their specialties. We just had Nick Pollock on to talk about starting pitching. We had Glenn Colton on to talk about working as a team. Uh, You name it, we've got it. It's a great base of information. So give it a check and a subscribe at the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast. Definitely. Uh, it's uh, It's been a pleasure working with you over there. Uh, I'll be, now that i am uh, got a little bit of a lull between my old job and my new job, I'll be doing a, uh, a number of episodes uh, of uh, my, my edition of the podcast, which is uh, kind of talking to people uh, a little bit more personally and kind of interviewing uh, people in the industry uh, to kind of uh, learn a little bit more about them uh, and, and kind of do I like to do profiles on people's work uh, and kind of you know even just a little bit of their uh, of their personal lives and, and things like that so I'll be uh, throwing out some more episodes of that as well so uh, and you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB uh, definitely uh, hit me up if you want that uh, FWFB draft guide it's called the fantasy benefit again it's available on Amazon or you can just email me Justin Mason fantasy at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow my work over on Fangrounds uh, and Friends with Fantasy Benefits, where I do uh, writing and podcasting. So uh, that is going to wrap us up. For Ariel and myself, thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season. <laughs>